0: Have this maybe moving around would be incredible. Women and young girls want to be more visible, want to be seen, and be treated fairly. And I think that voice just needs to become louder.
1: Hello, I'm Eve Holt, Strategic Director for Greater Manchester Moving. Welcome to series two of the Right to the Streets edition of the Dear Moving podcast. There are things that we can all do to create safe, joyful and welcoming streets, parks and public spaces where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. Together with GM Moving colleagues, I've been working with people and partners in Trafford, Greater Manchester, to do just this.
0: We live here, our families are here and we want this to be a safe space for our children to grow up as well.
1: You'll hear from lots of the people and partners involved, including local citizens, community leaders, politicians, commissioners, sports organisations, artists, comms experts, facilitators, performers and many others. Who've all been playing an active role as part of a whole system approach to women's safety, shifting the dial from fear to freedom. In this episode, which is the last for the Right to the Streets edition of the Dear Moving podcast, we're talking about what's next. Throughout the whole of the Right to the Streets initiative and across the last 16 episodes of this podcast, you've heard us say again and again that this is not the end. Far from it, it is just the beginning. Whilst we started with only 12 months of specific funding for the Right to the Streets partnership, We've always been clear that we wanted to use that to galvanise people and catalyse longer term action, mainstreaming a gendered perspective on our public spaces and places and connecting people and partners as a sustained movement for change. And collectively, it feels like we've really started something. Both what we did and how were designed to create ongoing ripples to grow learning, inspiration, and connectivity for sustained and systemic reimagining and change. So, coming up in this episode, we explore the longer term impact people want to see and how this work can continue to influence the wider change across whole systems, from communities through to policymakers and national government. Such as embedding a community connector role at the heart of our work in North Trafford to build relationships in place that helped local groups and individuals
2: access more pots of funding. It's a lot about being face to face and just getting to know people and spending time with them. And that's essentially what I think my role is about. We then go back to where we started, right at the very beginning of Right to the
1: Streets, as I catch up with leaders at Trafford Council to talk about how Right to the Streets will continue
3: to influence their safer streets work in the borough and beyond. I think that a lot of the learning that has happened will continue. The fact that it's proven that community... Focus is a great way to kind of tackle gender-based violence. And it's very impactful. Hopefully we can take some of that learning and some of that energy and, and it can continue.
1: And finally, we get some thoughts from our partners about what they'd like to see happen next.
4: I hope that we will be able to allow the work that we've created, the resources, the games, the blog posts, the podcasts, become the key resources for everyone everywhere to start to make changes in their own lives, in their own work.
1: But before we get to all that, I want to explain a little bit more about our approach to place-based initiatives. There is loads of evidence to show that short-term projects and programmes don't create sustained change. The parachuting in of people and partners into an area to deliver short-term projects and outputs can in fact be detrimental to longer-term progress. They can leave local people feeling used and betrayed and local partners left to pick up the pieces of broken trust and relationships. This is why we determined from the start to design a position right to the streets as a catalyst for longer term change by investing in and resourcing local people and partners. This was embedded into our initial bid to the Home Office and our theory of change, building on tried and tested dear moving enablers. So what are these enablers? Well, Dear Moving's work and experience has pointed to some key enablers and ways of working as critical to a successful place-based approach to addressing a complex issue like physical inactivity or violence against women and girls. These enablers were therefore intentionally designed into the approach from the start to include listening to, involving and resourcing local people, centering the most marginalised voices with an intersectional lens on power and privilege, Bring together people and cross-sector partners on an equal footing as experts by experience and by trade to learn, co-create and co-deliver a diverse, dynamic, energising array of activities for people to get involved in. Facilitating a test and learn approach with ongoing reflection embedded throughout the process. Demonstrating the potential to make a difference at pace by growing distributive leadership, networks and movements as effective mechanisms for rapidly rippling change. and Developing, strengthening and growing effective and trusted processes, governance and partnerships and spaces that help advance this work. This includes sharing effective models and ways to involve people and partners at scale so everyone can play their part in delivering a shift the cultural, policy, physical, social and behavioural norms which in this case perpetuate sexual harassment in public spaces. Equipping people with the tools, resources and information so that they can act and play their full part. We've seen people avoid taking on these tools and resources embedding them into the things that they're doing day to day so the right to the streets hasn't come to a hard end and people haven't just disappeared quite the opposite actually partners organizations and people that we've worked with have now got ownership of the issue and they're present in these places and spaces and they are equipped to take the action and apply this lens to all the things that they're doing which is absolutely fantastic so let's hear more about how this looks in practice Having people who are present in place was really important. A community connector who knows local people and the place and who can build on those to create more connections and longer term relationships was critical. This was Verity.
2: So I'm Verity Gardner. I work directly for Trafford Community Collective uh, and I was the community connector for Right to the Streets. I'm also a resident of Old Trafford. I've lived there six years. We knew that
1: as GM moving, we did not have all the answers or connections in place. We had to create a partnership of people and organisations that could support each other to take tangible strides for change on the issues that restrict the freedom of women and girls and gender diverse communities to walk about the streets without fear. I catch up with Verity at the GMC offices in Manchester and start by getting her take on what a community connector actually is.
2: I think... Essentially, it's somebody who is out on the ground, going out, meeting people, making relationships, building on relationships, being quite present, consistent, making the time for people, lots of cups of tea and listening, um, really hearing what people are already doing and what they would like to do. And then somehow putting things together so that you can make these things happen. It's a lot about being face-to-face and yeah, and being sort of consistent with it and, uh, and just getting to know people and sort of spending time with them. There's lots of amazing assets in the community already and these people know about a lot of them, but uh, some might need a bit more promotion or support and that's essentially what I think my role is about. From your perspective, like what,
1: how, what difference has it made having a Community Connector? Why does that matter?
2: I think it's crucial, really. It sort of bridges the gap between sort of the top layer partnerships who do a lot of strategic planning and that kind of thing and infrastructure. And then it's all about the people, the residents, the local people. And they are at coffee mornings. They're not in office blocks. I think it was actually really beneficial to have a community connector for a specific project. I, I have thought about this and whether, you know, the council should employ a community connector, which I think there's nothing wrong with that per se. But I think having somebody who is dedicated to the, you know, a campaign, it kind of gives it a real USP and, and you can really sort of like make it exciting and, and meaningful. So I'm pleased that, you know, I'm seeing connector roles coming up in other areas so Seed Studios have got a community connector my next role is going to be a similar connector role but for a slightly different demographic and yeah it's really exciting it gives it sort of fresh energy and a focus.
1: And anything in particular that's been difficult any challenges along the way? I think
2: yeah I mean there's been some learnings. Go on. (laughs) Uh, at one point i think i was trying to to do too much i think and i think in one scenario i perhaps maybe tried to get involved when i should have just taken a step back and let let it happen organically and and i think i was just conscious of time and deadlines and wanting to get things off you know to get the ball rolling with with one particular project and unfortunately just dates didn't match in the end and we had to kind of change things quite last minute and there were some difficult conversations because I felt like I would let some people down and that was really hard um, and I tried to explain they, they knew it was coming from a good place it was just yeah perhaps in this situation you can't do everything you have to let people be autonomous and 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 do it themselves so that was a, one challenge.
1: <laughs> and I guess that's because the strength is having you know you as a, a local resident who knows the place, or you know lots of people. Being there, being in having coffee, go going to coffee mornings, being in those spaces, bumping into people, uh, builds that trust and that understanding of place and of people in a place. But the challenge is then you, you don't escape it, do you? Yeah. You know, it's not a job that you you then can return home from. <laughs> you know, it's a bit like when people are counsellors or play other roles mm. in a place. You know, people are going to see you, so the, you can build trust probably quicker. Mm. But they must feel that sense then of responsibility. You've got to be able to maintain that because otherwise, these are your neighbours. You yeah. know, these are people that you're going to continue to bump into in the shop. Yep. So yeah. it does carry probably a great a sense of accountability in a community. So it's interesting how people often think about accountability in very formal, organisational, top-down, quite transactional ways, whereas I think you're probably as exposed and as accountable in this kind of a role as you possibly could be, um, which is why scenarios that you described there probably can happen quite easily because mm. you're trying to do lots of... I mean, who do you connect with? With what? You know, <laughs> where do you start and where do you stop?
2: Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I actually recently was asked, what, what do you like most about living in your area? And I said, my neighbours, because I do. I've got a great relationship with them. But yeah, you're, you're kind of always on show. I mean, it's sometimes it's really handy because you'll just bump into someone and, and you'll be like, oh, Great. This happened Sunday night on the way to the pub. I saw two of my community grants people. I was like, oh, this is fab. <laughs> this, is it. this is still work and I'm going to the pub. <laughs> but then it's also being mindful that, you know, when you do bump into people, you, you it's it's often a good idea just to check if that person has got the time mm. to, to have that conversation mm. now because mm. there are other people who, and they, they've told me that yeah, they suffer from sort of social anxiety and things like that. So if I was to jump on them in, in, the, in the street, it, it, it might not be appropriate. So I, I kind of... Hope that that is a bit that is a two-way street in terms of people approaching me. Sometimes it is, sometimes isn't. And you just have to take it on the chin, you know. If you if you haven't got the time, you just have to be honest. Say, look, I will come and see you. I just can't talk right now. And similarly, I hope people feel that way when they see me coming. <laughs> they might be not like, gone. What does she want now? <laughs> I, I heard it was termed, I think it's called communication consent. Mm, I like that. So it's just, yeah, that checking in, have you got the time? are you in the right headspace for this conversation right now? And if not, you just find another time. But, yeah, I think it is important, especially when you, like you say, the integration of being uh, a resident and, you know, an employee of, of, yeah, you you do have to have some boundaries.
1: There's something actually you refer to as, like, increasingly seeing other community connectors. So I guess I'm interested in, is that something you think is generally growing as a thing? in Trafford in Greater Manchester and anything particularly different about the other roles that you're seeing people play but under that kind of Community Connector or similar sort of job title?
2: I think people throughout the UK are seeing that community is so important and um, community centres which we've lost a lot of or youth clubs which are barely in existence anymore and people just doing DIY events so we're not all going to big stadium shows because we can't afford it but we can definitely put something on on the church hall mm. or we can do you know a subsidised yoga class mm. rather than spending 50 you know like yeah. I think the cost of living um, coming out of Covid People are really recognizing the importance of what is on your doorstep, your local parks and sports centers, that kind of thing. Biking. Yeah, there's a lot of there's there's quite an impetus to support local communities. And that's why like doing this job was just a dream. It was it was amazing. And yes, I can see it happening with other jobs that are popping up. You know, when I got an email from another community connector, I was like, oh, we need to get together. (laughs) We need to get all the community connectors together and we need to do some connecting or whatever. You know what I mean? But yeah, so it's really great. And and I think the people that are doing those connecting roles, they're really, i have got loads of energy for it. And, you know, they they tend to be slightly more sort of outgoing people, giving confidence to people around them. Fab. And... I've definitely seen all of that in you. So
1: definitely bring, bring the energy, a real people describe when they kind of, what's a people person, but you know, that warmth and such an inclusive approach that you feel like, you know, people I can see very see you as being very approachable. So to that point, you've kind of pointed out the potential and I guess the interest in what's on your doorstep and how important that is and people remembering local and local neighbourhoods. And as you said, like COVID's particularly made that important and cost of living And I guess that speaks directly to the importance of the right to the streets, doesn't it? Because Mm. if you don't feel safe on your own doorstep, if that isn't a place that you feel you belong, then all those local assets suddenly, doesn't matter how close they are to you, become
2: inaccessible to you. I've worked with some South Asian communities since working on this project and they're sort of quite limited in, in terms of their of how they can exercise and where they can exercise and who they can exercise with. And these are all things that we need to be culturally aware of and, and sensitive to. But there are ways to to make it happen. So uh, the WETA organization, they they did um outside family fun days with mothers and daughters, which was gorgeous. And it was and but it was contained and it was safe but it was it was the one step to kind of being out in in the public and being seen mm. being visible mm. yeah i mean we we've done such great work with all of this and we've getting we're getting people out there and and getting people together i think that's that's been key to it because safety in numbers and you're more aware of your surroundings and looking out for other people so one of the things that you
1: led was the community arts grants and projects and overseeing those so can you tell us a little bit about both I guess the process um, and then also yes a glimpse into what some of these fantastic groups did.
2: We wanted the application to be really simple we made it so that individuals could apply for up to 500 pounds and constituted organizations could apply for up to 2,000 and We got loads of great feedback from individuals because not often do they get an opportunity to apply for funding um, like that. I also linked individuals with organisations who were happy to then apply for more money. Yeah, we had three criteria and some sort of suggestions and it was like a three pronged. Uh, attack. So there was creativity, like creative projects, movement, or or yeah, fitness sort of movement activity, and then education as well. The freedom, personal safety, active bystander training, which everybody who's done has, has said it, it was really powerful. We opened the applications until the eighteenth of August, and we had twenty four applications. And of those, we funded or part-funded 22. We had yoga in the park, we had uh, sponsored several walking groups, we had learning to ride a bike, we had family fun days, uh, kick out knife crime, uh, which was a football tournament, which was really fun, working with the Violence Reduction Police Unit, in fact, Right to the streets, FC played them. <laughs> we didn't win.
1: <laughs> but you participated <laughs> and that's what counts.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we've had murals, we've had brew on a bench, which is a really lovely, just really simple thing on a Wednesday between one and three at OT Creative Space. We just sit out and have a chat and a brew. And that's where I've met a lot of people and I've invited them to a lot of the open days and the fun family days that we've that we've put on. We've got Old Trafford Heritage and History Group are doing a photographic exhibition this afternoon at Limelight. Yes, we've we've worked with lots of different sort of people doing different things. So there's a couple of things there that were quite, I guess,
1: novel. So one, you mentioned the grants for individuals, which I guess tests the boundaries, doesn't it, for some organisations around... seen perceived risk which is fascinating about actually giving money to a not to a constituted group um which was well received so be good if there's anything else around I guess that process and anything that you would do differently or would like to do
2: again one thing that we did offer um was a a free online bid writing session um during the 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 process when applications were open um and had something like 67 signups wow and then I think there was about just under 30 attendees and and it was a relatively short turnaround time so that just shows the the appetite for it in 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 sort of North Trafford so I think next time definitely do maybe a one or two sessions maybe do an in-person one because I think we don't want to exclude the, the people that aren't aren't very digital Um, and that was another thing that we did actually for the applications we we said that they could come in by um, video voice note over the phone handwritten or or digital so yeah we tried to make it as inclusive as possible so yeah definitely do all of that again and yeah perhaps maybe do a little bit more work with individuals applying because we had we had a few, but it, it most of the applications came from constituted organisations, like you say, because people are more expect that's that's what's yeah. okay. Um, so I think, yeah, really supporting individuals and perhaps maybe giving them a little bit more money. Hmm. But, you know, maybe we do it in a staggered way. And
1: that's a phenomenal take-up, really. And what is, a, you know, it's a small neighbourhood here in a short time frame. So just to your point, that clearly shows the appetite and the need there to do more of that. And can you give us a glimpse of some of those different community projects?
2: Yeah, I can't believe I've not mentioned her already actually. So um, Ella, our goal, she sent in a video application and I remember watching it thinking, yeah, this is this is ideal, this is perfect, this is so right to the streets. Um, and she doesn't mind her story being told, but she runs park football for women and girls.
0: Oh,
2: She set up Our Goal, which is now a CIC, after being attacked in the street a few years ago. And football really helped her find her confidence. So she's set up, she's been doing uh, every Saturday uh, in September. And she has now connected with some local organisations, Tough Sea, Mark, um, he's offered to sponsor her with some foam balls so she can do it inside if, if the weather's bad she's collaborating with someone from GM moving we're you know building on this legacy mm. of, of of this community-based football and Ella says you know it's not necessarily about becoming an amazing football player it's it's about this confidence about this connectivity do it you know committing to something being part of something obviously moving and being outside so yeah so I'm really proud of her really pleased I'm so happy that she was you know came under the right to the streets umbrella but that she's you know taking this button and she's going to run with it now Mm. it's brilliant um yeah really pleased about that beautiful so we had a really lovely application um, from someone in Gorse Hill just to do their alleyway but they kind of went a bit above and beyond they 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 cleared and and sort of cleaned and then painted planted and they got these solar lights in and it was just lovely like it looked so beautiful so loved and it was really that that was you know even though that was a, a small individual grant that was still absolutely key to this whole project just you know making your your spaces a bit more loved and populated and then from an organization we had Seed Studios who I've mentioned before they did a sound walk around Seymour Park and uh, they worked with a composer who went out and they were um, recording sounds from nature and then they came back and they made it into an app so that when you go walking you can hear the sounds of 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 nature um which was really really creative really lovely and the composer was really keen to work with um with 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 community residents and now they you know they can sort of walk around and 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 it's given given their neighborhood a a, a new feel a new sound and and a new new sense of belonging we had theater in the park and this was all run by theater of the senses so they they did a few different projects within um they managed to make the money go really far actually <laughs> and and and, yeah. and 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 i, I yeah that, that's that's something to mention i think they must have engaged with at least 200 people
4: wow
2: yeah and and yeah they you know they had under 2000 pounds to do it mm. Uh, mm. but they really really put the time in um really lots of engagement
1: and we've seen that over and over again, I think, in the stories from this work that actually people in communities, you do not they often don't need very much mm. in terms of resource and finance to to make amazing things happen. And, and they come at it with such passion and, you know, they care and they've got those connections that they do. They bring their heart and they bring their hands and they crack on with stuff that often larger parts of money... Um, going to other organizations can get caught can't they a little bit more in maybe uh, yeah overheads Mm. and administrative stuff Mm. and actually in stuff that isn't making more immediate impact which yeah I guess speaks to a lot of the conversations we had early on around the process and around risks and how risk is perceived you know because actually are small parts of money that are places would go but it's too risky giving you know to a a a newly formed constituted group or to an individual what if whereas actually what we see is that that what flows is phenomenal so what would you like to see happen now anything that you kind of any dreams that it's stirred that you'd like to see realized
2: Mm, annual events so kick out knife crime which we sponsored i think there's something in that we should do something annually um, working with Gorsaw Studios definitely. Uh, also they had a party in the park which was which was beautiful as well. so so it's maybe a collaborative effort with Gorsaw Studios but you know with this sort of football tournament you know we'll get Ella involved. So I think yeah that kind of annual event I mean it would be great to have like this sort of community notice board maybe a physical one and a digital one. Because there isn't one place where we find out where everything is. You have to actively go out. And, and I think maybe part of the connector role is to sort of highlight these, these different the different events and workshops and, and activities that are happening.
1: It's all about the people. It's like, drop the mic. Now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Job done.
1: <laughs> there is, to your point around, I guess, the signposting, because a lot of what you've done has been the in-person signposting having those conversations being and bumping in places that you can let people know about what's going on and you can find out what they're doing and how the two connect and then also some kind of the old just real old school not rocket science communication of just having you present in place with a bite and active souls on to be able to go and take, put posters up in all those different community centers. It's been lovely seeing like cycling through the parks there and seeing the Right to the Streets posters and information up in parks, as well as stuff online in local Facebook groups. So all of that felt so important because it's often stuff that we talk about, but quite often we don't have somebody who knows even where to put those things or how to get them up and do it well and do it kind of in a timely way. Anything you know now, in terms of that sort of communication that you didn't know when you started?
2: The WhatsApp groups have been very active and and actually a, a really good way of, of reaching certain demographics. But then yeah, really it's just about sort of approaching people like Christine at St John's and the team there and just because their notice boards are really prominent on her Road.
1: It feels like most neighbourhoods now have far more prolific kind of you know street whatsapp groups and mm. things and particularly it's one of the things that came out I'd say of covid in the kind of mutual aid space of lots more street connectors people on the streets having their own whatsapp groups in order to provide support for each other and many of those seem to have kind of continued and been repurposed i guess what feels probably a bit different is that in north trafford actually there's a lot of amazing community-led community-owned spaces so I'm just wondering how different do you think it would have been if you'd been in another neighborhood where you don't have as many of those community spaces as exist there?
2: Mm, I mean it would have made my job a lot more difficult Um, and I think I probably would have been relying on the post offices or you know local shops but I mean, anywhere with a cafe tends to be. <laughs> I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? But you know, just somewhere to sit and have a have a brew, and you know, if they've got food on as well, or or if they offer services like OT Creative Space. Uh, Linda's been amazing. She's she's been really supportive. I did lots of printing of photos there. She let me use the space. You know, in this really cool art studio. They almost have their own sort of individual identities and and that's really important and that was reflected in what they do in those spaces um St John's over the summer have done uh, silent discos and afternoon teas which is really lovely because they do have a slightly older crowd there you know all of these spaces offer opportunities for people to learn something new or try something and and yeah be part of of their of their collective mm.
1: I feel like I'd be amiss if I didn't also mention, of course, Old Trafford Wellbeing Centre. Oh, of course. And Stratford Public Hall. And Stratford Public Hall. (laughs) And thinking, oh, my goodness, and I'm bound to have left out others. Um, But acknowledging all of those, I guess because they feel quite unique to the space, in addition, as you described, they're in addition to, you know, there's Trafford College, there's there's Mm. Stratford High School, there's shops, some of which are very much independent, locally owned shops. Yeah. Um, places like our post offices, our our cafes, there is the leisure centre and the parks. So it's just recognising, I guess, the number of different spaces and assets across that neighbourhood and felt like you connected with all of them and they all played a role in the work as a whole uh, and how, you know, because you know them, because you're present in place and you live there, you know, how important that has been Mm. really in all of this. So my last question is... Has your involvement in Right to the Streets in any way changed your relationship with the streets, with our parks, with our public spaces, and with, with Old Trafford and <laughs> Old Trafford as a whole?
2: Yes, definitely. I, <laughs> I now consider myself to be uh, Trafford's version of Leslie Nope. <laughs> Parks and wrecks. Parks <laughs> are my thing now. <laughs> I'm always like going through. I'm looking at rubbish, or I'm, I'm, I'm sort of looking at who's using what spaces. And similarly with streets, you know, I'm keeping my own bins and recycling and 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 things like that because it's important. You know, we need to take care of our spaces. You know, if something is well cared for, you you do feel sort of safer because you know it's been loved. Unfortunately we do have some fly tipping issues in Old Trafford and it's very disappointing because you walk past and you just think oh god. Oh. And and quite often it is people from outside the area and you know and it, it 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 does it is quite disheartening when lots of people have put so much effort and time into making the streets look look nice. However, the community spirit is very much alive and it's just nice sort of riding or, or walking around and, and just having a quick chat with local neighbours and, and just all keeping an eye out for each other. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, definitely changed that. I feel like the web of, of, of communication <laughs> and people is, is much stronger and wider now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's a really lovely, lovely feeling.
1: So it's pretty simple, isn't it, when you think about it? play-based projects or movements only work when play-based people are involved and invested in the work and, importantly, feel like they're being listened to. We also heard how small pots of funding and help kickstart projects help groups and individuals test out ideas and, importantly, animate our streets, parks and public spaces so they feel more welcoming and safe. Community connectors are vital and I'm really pleased to hear that there's more and more opportunities opening up across the country in similar roles. Next, let's hear how support from a local authority can ensure that your project and work is not only embedded in place to begin with, but can ensure a longer term legacy. I'm in a beautifully wood panelled room in Trafford Town Hall. And I'm joined by two people who've been key in bringing right to the streets to North Trafford and who remain critical to ensuring it has a
3: longer-term impact. Hi, I'm Emma Moseley. I'm the Senior Policy Manager at Trafford Council.
5: Hi, I'm Rose Thompson. I'm the newly appointed exec Member for Communities and Safety in Trafford.
1: Great. And you're obviously a local councillor
5: as well, aren't you? So which, which ward do you represent, Rose? I represent Brooklands, which is in Sale.
1: At Dear Moving, we hear from lots of women and girls that a big barrier to them being able to live an active life is their fear of abuse or harassment on our streets, public spaces and parks. We're therefore very keen to do something to think about how we take more of a whole system approach to address that issue and to think about the actions that we can all take. To do this successfully in place, involving all partners, we knew we had to work with anchor institutions those who present in place who know the local community, the neighbourhood groups and existing local partnerships. So that's where Trafford Council comes in. So I start by asking Emma from her side how their involvement in Right to the Street started.
3: Sure, it feels like a long time ago now, but um, it was not last summer, but the summer before. One of our councillors was contacted by... um, Local residents um, in her local constituency who were concerned about some of the kind of sexual harassment and sexual assaults that have been happening um, on the canals in her ward, and she wanted us to kind of look into that and do some work around the area. So we wanted to gather a bit of information about people's concerns in Trafford. So we did a survey of residents in Trafford, asking them about their feelings of safety on the streets of Trafford, um, what particular areas they felt unsafe in, what the reasons for that were. So we could use that in combination with crime data to get a picture of what people's real lived experiences were of living in Trafford. So it was obviously particularly targeted at women, but it was open to anyone. And a lot of the data that we discovered from that was that there were particular areas of Trafford that people felt really unsafe and that... Sometimes went along with the crime data and sometimes didn't, and that there was quite a lot of localised reasons why people were feeling unsafe. So it was things like streets that were very dark or a lot of kind of antisocial behaviour that was happening in those areas And we were told by someone at GMCA that this data would be really good to apply for the Safer Streets Home Office Fund that was quite a recent fund that had come out. After what happened with Sarah Everard, a lot of people obviously wanted to take action and that's kind of where the fund came from. So we applied for that and we wanted to do it with a local organization because we recognized that someone like GM Moving had great expertise and that councils don't always have like that community wider element it's better to try and get as many partners involved as possible so we kind of approach you guys and we did the application and we're obviously successful and yeah it all it all came from there so can you tell us how Trafford council have been involved over
1: the last sort of 12 13 months
3: So we've tried to be involved in kind of every area of the project to make those connections between the different elements, so like the art project or the data or the kind of training and trying to put people in touch with people across the council and also other local organisations. We've also tried to kind of just support on a resource level, trying to give data and um, support wherever we can in that way. We obviously are a big organization and we have a lot of different elements and it's easy when you're working low government to kind of forget about the power and the kind of resources you have to pull on because we're obviously quite limited on money but we do have a lot of those resources that we've been trying to make available to the project wherever we can and on a personal note I've got a lot of experience in gender-based violence that I've been trying to um, both learn from the project and also give that expertise to the project so yeah it's been a really great experience.
1: I think that blend of kind of personal and professional expertise has been a common thread, hasn't it, across the work and people really bringing their own personal passion and experiences as a woman as well, who, you know, works here and travels around in this local place. So, Rose, obviously you took on your exec position just in, in May. So you've come to it in that role sort of more recently. But when did you first kind of get a sense of what was going on and what we were trying to do?
5: Because our communities are the most important thing in in Trafford and safe communities, thriving communities, communities that can go out and about and do what they want with no fear or hindrance. That's one of our goals in Trafford, isn't it? To keep people safe and to make it an enjoyable place to be.
1: And I think the and community sector has been absolutely key. So the fact you've got, you've got loads of brilliant people and places as well, loads of community hubs across this area that have acted as a great place for people to convene. But again, one of the other strengths has been that real sense of a kind of a commitment, really, from the council in terms of your policy, Emma, and in terms of, you know, a councillor's commitment to say this is gender-based violence, safety in our streets is really important to us. And I know this is just one of a whole swathe of different things that you're doing. So can you give us kind of a taste of some of the other activities and interventions that are taking place in Trafford?
5: Yeah, we do get funding from GMCVA to put on local projects around safety and standing together initiative, which is around keeping people safe and reducing harm and strengthening communities. So we get 100,000 pounds a year to go into those community-led projects. And recently we've been told that we're getting an extra £50,000 from the Lord Mayor's funding pot because there's a realisation that community-led projects in the local areas are effective. And we recognise that... Things like CCTV and Better Lit Streets are a small part of of what we can do. And we are bringing our CCTV group into the Safer Communities Partnership. So, and we're building on an infrastructure, bringing in more CCTV camera surveillance. But we know that's just a small part of, of what we can do to keep people safe.
3: Fantastic. Anything you want to add, Emma, in terms of a guest policy position? We're trying to use this as a jumping off point for um, a lot of the policy that we're thinking about in this area. So one example of that is that we're doing what's called a policy lab for the Cooperative Council's network, which is going to be different councils across the country sharing their learning around gender-based violence. So we're going to be leading on that. We've been funded by the Cooperative council Network to the tune of uh, £20,000. So a small amount, but hopefully we'll have some good innovative learning that we can share with lots of different councils. We've got a few that are very interested. It's going to be all across the country. So yeah, I'm quite excited about
5: that. Yeah, there's lots of pots, little things going on that we fund Trafford Match Funds, the Talk, Listen, Change project, which is around behavioural change programmes for men and boys to develop healthy and safe and happy relationships. We also work with a group called Men at Work and they train professionals who work with boys and men around happy, encouraging happy relationships and having safe relationships with women. And also, there's the collective as well, the Trafford. Community Collective, who I think there's probably about 150 members in that now. So, yeah, there's lots of things going on around the borough. And I guess that's
1: what's been really strong is seeing that from those kind of shifting the cultural norms, those kind of conversations like men at work, also positive masculinity have been coming in and working within some of the schools. And then we've had freedom, personal safety, doing the active bystander training and the campaigns. There's been some of those kind of what are the big cultural shifts that we need to happen, that we need to have conversations and campaigns to shift language and thinking ways of behaving Then some of those changes around the policy that in particular, you know, Emma, you've obviously been focused on and how can we kind of gain learning from what's happening else around the country, but how can we now... You know, make sure that we draw on all the things that we've learned here in Trafford over the last 12 months to help accelerate change more broadly. And all those physical changes that you refer to, Rose, as well. So, you know, yes, lighting, you know, comes up over and over again in particular alongside all the great stuff that's been going on around painting murals, getting people out and about, kind of really appreciating their local space and place and having a great sense of ownership over them. And then all the stuff that like the community collective organized, you know, all those different groups coming together as a VCSE sector, all being able to activate each other and you know, inspire each other and get out walking and cycling and you know, wheeling more often um and having lots of different events that in places so people see each other and go, oh actually this is a nice place to be. And it feels as though that this project, I guess, has just been that catalyst across all those little layers to kind of notice in some ways the things that you're already doing and then give them a little bit more kind of of an oomph, (laughs) you know, and glue them together and a bit more direction. And I guess from where I am, what I've seen is it feels like the energy is phenomenal. So I get a sense that actually we're confident that that's going to continue to flow. So when we talk about what next, I'm already seeing things feel like they're moving now anyway in the right direction and those groups and those people are taking stuff on board I guess from where you both sit what do you think is going to continue it's going to continue to happen and at pace and what would you really like to see continue that maybe needs some kind of concerted effort to make sure that it has that longer lasting change
3: I would say that I think that a lot of the learning that has happened will continue people you know still have that learning and it's very impactful the fact that it's proven that community focus is a great way to kind of tackle gender-based violence I mean if you look at the statistics obviously the place that women are most in danger of gender-based violence is in their partnerships in the home but this project is more focused on that kind of feeling of community and feeling of safety and I think making gender-based violence something that is a community focus and showing that it overlaps with so many different things like active travel, art, culture, just community feeling in general, I think is really important. And hopefully we can take some of that learning and some of that energy and, and it can continue. But
1: we've also been very keen, haven't we, to say it is a catalyst for longer term change and um, that there's people that have taken on the tools, the resources, stuff that's really available and will
5: continue to embed them in the things that they're doing day to day. But one thing... I think Trafford has got that kind of, we'll keep this on the agenda, is that Trafford Council is full of women. I think three out of the four mm-hmm. leaders are women. The councillors, Labour councillors, 50%, maybe more, is women. And there's a lot of senior, senior staff are women. So that gives us that kind of a lived experience view of policies and change and And actions, so I think we're quite special in Trafford that we have got that uh, impetus to see this kind of project through.
3: I would love it if people took a more kind of community-based approach to gender-based violence and um, street safety, and didn't look at these issues in such narrow, criminalised ways, and thought more about it more broadly and about women's kind of inclusion in society and looked at our project and looked at the kind of things that have been really successful and tried to learn from that obviously when you ask kind of the average person about what they want on the streets for safety people will often reference things like cctv or lights Um, and i think our project shows that with a bit more creativity and a bit more innovation you can have a lot more impact by focusing on community and funding the expertise that already exists in a community Definitely. That feels like that's been the biggest strength (laughs) and also the biggest message
1: that's come out of the work. With your policy hat on then, are there any other top tips that you would give to policymakers out there to help them make that shift away from maybe a traditional response that's focused on kind of policing and CCTV to more of a community response? Because some of that's about the questions we ask, elicit a very different response.
3: My top tip would be, don't pretend you're coming from the issue completely cold, that there's Many incredible experts out there in your community who are already got those contacts, who are already doing amazing community work, who are already experts in this area. And if you go out there and you find them and you listen to their expertise and listen to people in the community, you won't have to come up with ideas out of nowhere. You'll be able to just say, oh, what you're doing is incredible. I'll support you in that. It's very easy as a policymaker to think that you have to kind of come up with ideas all on your own. And that's just not the best way to come up with any kind of policy. It's always better if you listen to your community and partner with people that already know what they're doing.
1: That must be music to your ears, Rose, because let's be honest, as councillors working in local government, you know, it's a real scarcity of funding. And if this is just about additional funding and a new initiative and new pots, then that feels very challenging in current times. But that creates this whole abundance, doesn't it? And that's what we've seen already. We've seen this huge abundance of people, of expertise, of ideas, of things going on that help build that sense of community. So where does that leave you in terms of what you think would be kind of key tips maybe for other councillors and people in your position?
5: I believe that most boroughs have an infrastructure body that is the lead for the voluntary and community sector and that infrastructure body gives training, support, funding to the voluntary sector. And I think it's crucial that councils see that body as a true partner. The community sector is a complete asset and a resource that we can use to great advantage. So to other councils, like make friends with your infrastructure body, make sure you know them, build those relationships.
1: Good tips. I think generally making friends and building good relationships and partnerships has been kind of the key throughout, hasn't it? Is there anything that you would like to see, I guess, at a national level that you think would help propel safer streets,
5: right to the streets for all women and girls? Well, I was amazed to learn a couple of months ago that sexual harassment and misogyny is, is not a crime. So... I'm a Labour councillor, so I'm hoping that Angela Rayner at a conference referenced that in her her speech, that Labour would look to make that that a crime. So hopefully next year that will come to be, because I think that's really important, that those should be recognised as as criminal offences. So, yeah, that's nationally, that's what I'd like to see happen.
3: I would very much like if this was kind of given the attention on a national stage that I think it deserves. It's something that affects all women. We know from the UN survey that 97% of women have been sexually harassed in the UK. And we know that one in four women are uh, sexually assaulted. And also, obviously, domestic abuse is one in four as well. So I think... The fact that it's often kind of siloed into a small issue that's just kind of considered occasionally when something big happens is something I'd like to change. And if it was considered within all policy as an element and given that kind of wider consideration, I think that'd be really good. And also it should be given the funding that it deserves.
1: Sounds like some good asks there, some good calls to action. And hopefully the policy lab that obviously you're involved in will be one way in which, I guess, across those different councils across the country can come together and recognise both what things they can do that are within their own power and influence, but also then provide a shared call to action for the changes we need to see at a national level. If anyone is listening who'd like to get involved in that, who doesn't
3: already aware, is there a way that they can find out more? You do need to be a cooperative council to be involved in the policy lab, but if um, anyone has any questions or just interested in it, then they can uh, contact me at the council. I mean, it has been good. I
1: guess that point around what we see in the agenda, and to your point, Rose, about you know, at the moment, um, unfortunately, a lot of day-to-day harassment isn't actually a criminal offence, and that means that people don't report it; they don't even recognise it as being is it counting effectively, uh, and that shift is is definitely needed we are seeing shifts in terms of the level of attention given, I guess, generally to to sexual harassment in public spaces. So, and um, we've seen the campaign in London and across Transport for London. And also in Northumbria have recently launched a campaign called It All Adds Up. So if people haven't seen that, I would I'd recommend. And then also uh, West Yorkshire um, have recently uh, launched their campaign as well called Just Don't. Um, and obviously all of this, again, sort of builds on the work in Manchester around the, you know, is this okay campaign Andy Burnham had launched um, last year. So, you know, those are all kind of, I guess, shoots of hope that people are going this this does matter Uh, and all of those different campaigns have been developed kind of often in collaboration with local women's groups to say okay how do we actually make sure that we put women's experiences at the heart of this and they're all slightly different because they all have a slightly different kind of maybe place-based nuance or slightly different take but I think that opportunity for them now to learn from each other and for us all to learn from each other and go okay so what next how do we bring all of this together to create a real sense of systemic change for everybody would be
3: would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, that sounds good.
1: Sounds good. (laughs) Say that in this lovely wood panelled room in Trafford Council, there's change coming. There is. Hopefully. A really important insight there into how policy and decision making at a local government level can play a real role in tackling street harassment. But as we've learnt throughout the series, it's not the only way we can achieve safer, more joyful streets, parks and public spaces, where everyone is invited to be active. It's not down to any one actor, institution or organisation. We all have a role to play together. In this series, you've heard from just some of our partners who co-delivered the Right to the Streets vision, including those who put on events like the Party in the Park or the colourful parades, or who taught kids how to use cameras, staged exhibitions, painted murals, collected data, produced podcasts, designed walking and cycling trails, published guides, resources, devised public campaigns, delivered active bystander training, and helped to connect the community. The list goes on and on. I can't stress this enough. Right to the Streets simply wouldn't be and couldn't have happened without them. So let's close this episode and series by hearing more from them. So at Stretford Public Hall for the Right to the Streets celebration event, it's the culmination of our initial 12 months of Right to the Streets activity. And it's absolutely thronging with activity here. There's football sessions happening, workshops, how to fix your bike, and we've got Freedom Personal Safety delivering one of their active bystander training sessions, alongside photography exhibitions and sensory walks and performances. And of course, there's food and drink to keep us going. It's full of people of all ages, genders and backgrounds having fun together, and it's just brilliant. We've invited all of the partners to come along as a huge thank you, so i catch up with a few of them to chat about their experience of Right to the Streets. First, a bump into Ellie, who you heard in our Public Space Design episode in the first series of the Right to the Streets podcast.
4: I'm Ellie Cosgrave. I'm from Publica, and we've been leading the work around exploring what the key themes and ideas are when it comes to women's safety, sense of belonging and joyfulness in public spaces. I ask Ellie what impact this work has had on what Publica do. Being part of Right to the Streets as Publica has been one of the most incredible opportunities to let loose with our creativity. So often when we're asked to do stuff around women's safety, public space design, it gets serious and intense really quickly and it also gets very theoretical and we're trying to find changes that we can make in real built projects and that can be stressful, intimidating, um, overwhelming for a lot of people. What we have been invited to do for Right to the Streets is to centre communities to make sure we prioritise joy and accessibility. And so that's opened up a whole realm of possibilities for us to start playing together and to make things that are really, you know, quite complicated and stressful ideas, feelings, uh, accessible through making them joyful and um, something that people can really start to engage with and feel like they know already uh, what the issues are.
1: Earlier in the day, Ellie developed a workshop here at a celebration event and I'm dying to hear what happened.
4: We're here at the celebration event of Right to the Streets and we've just played a game with a gang of amazing women where we've been co-creating a vision and manifesto for Trafford being a safe place for everyone and we've co-written a poem.
0: In Trafford, I know I matter. Trafford tastes sweet and I'm an integral part of it. In Trafford, everybody's eyes sparkle. We are allowed to be in our own spaces. We are free, relaxed and oh so calm. We are equal, not judged, open, warm, sweet, rooted. We listen, we are kind, we find the common ground and the possibilities are endless.
1: Thanks to Vic there, our producer for expertly reading out that fantastic poem it really sums it up perfectly doesn't it? We are equal we're kind and we find the common ground and when we do that the possibilities truly are endless Next I grab George Devlin
6: So I'm uh, George Devlin, I'm the Chief Officer of Trafford Community Collective so the collective is the sort of strategic voice of the VCFSE sector in Trafford we Support, promote, and connect the sector that enables us to be involved in the strategic conversations about development and delivery of services. And our key sort of USP, I suppose, is that through the sector we're able to connect and communicate with Trafford residents.
1: George goes on to tell me how the Trafford Community Collective has played a really integral role in Right to the Streets and how the work has linked up to more projects and roles in Trafford communities.
6: We've been involved in this project through the development of a community grants fund. So we've had a community connector, Verity. We employed Verity to develop and promote the community grants fund. We had around £17,500 to promote community-based activity. We set up the grants fund, Verity really effectively connected with the community. So in August and September, we had 22 different projects running as a result of the, the work that Verity had done and we kind of provided the money. I think for me, that shows the capacity within the community to do things for themselves, promoting safer streets for women and girls. In terms of moving things forward, I think what we're keen to do is make sure that this project links into the other work that we're doing as a collective and links into the other work that trafford council are doing so we've got a really strong approach to neighborhood development neighborhood working within that we're really keen to engage with, with trafford residents we're keen to promote personal safety in particular for women and girls the collective has got some funding to think about how we would reduce violence so we've got a violence reduction alliance facilitator in post which is quite a title but it's really important because the idea is that he will work in the same way that verity did with people in and around gorse hill to set up an alliance of organizations and people that can think about what do we need to do differently how can we do it and then we've got around about a hundred thousand to support the community to do those things that community-based activity can then feed straight into the neighborhood work that that we're all doing and we can promote that involvement of people ensure that the priority around safety for women and girls but for everybody is a key platform within our our neighborhood plans i think the other part of it as a collective We're keen to promote all the material that's been developed through the whole Right to the Streets project. That's one of the reasons I'm here, to get that sort of overview of what's been happening and feed as much as we can into Trafford, but then feed it also through into Greater Manchester so that we learn from what's happening in other areas.
1: I love that. What a fantastic example of embedding a legacy in place. I'm really looking forward to checking back in with George over the next few months to see how all of that is progressing. I then head downstairs and poke my head around the door of one of the brilliant workshops going on today. It's How to Fix Your Bike Workshop with Belinda from B Be Pedal Ready.
0: My name's Belinda, I'm the founder of B Pedal Ready and also the newly appointed Great Manchester Bicycle Mayor. The organisation I have created is called B Pedal Ready. B Pedal Ready is about creating a space particularly for young women and girls to learn about bike mechanics and learn about the the bike industry, basically. You might be asking yourself, well, what does fixing a
1: bike have to do with safer streets? So I asked Belinda why it's important.
0: It's important because, unfortunately, the facts for the UK is that the bike mechanic industry is made up of 96% white males. So as much as we are really trying to encourage more young girls and particularly diversity within cycling, that needs to represent when it comes to actually fixing bikes and just the bike industry in general.
1: Belinda goes on to tell me more about those sessions she's been delivering.
0: Right to the streets, I feel very passionately about because again, it's something that's very passionate as regards of Be Pedal Ready is the fact that it's about giving a space and creating a space for young girls, for them to be visible, for them to be seen, and most of all, for them to be safe. BPED already came and is involved in this because I think the more knowledge that young girls especially have when it comes to fixing their bikes means that they can become self-reliant, confident and most of all safe. So we have delivered a women's bike maintenance session. It was at St. John's, Old Trafford, and we're very fortunate to have it in the church. So it's a very special, unique setting it was open to everyone so you didn't even need a bike it was accessible to all you literally could just come from work and come down and everything was there and it was teaching people the real basics of a bike but also how to fix it and just mainly women's safe only space where they can feel that they can ask any questions and feel comfortable and basically grow in knowledge within those two hours Just now we had a really special moment with Annabelle, she came with her, the family came today to do the workshop at Stretford Public Hall and she's five and she's never fixed a bike before and she was incredibly enthusiastic and you could see that you know she really wanted to learn more and for me that's basically what it is about I think the more we can get especially young girls and even as young as her enthusiastic about fixing bikes and getting dirt on your hands and that's okay and actually getting the logical side of the mind working next thing you know you know she could be the next future engineer you know the next scientists all these type of things and i i truly believe that bike mechanics especially from very young is the beginning of that
1: it's just incredible isn't it how something so simple like knowing how to fix your bike can empower more women and girls not just to move more but to feel safe in the knowledge that if something does go wrong on the move we have the confidence to fix it and continue to move another one of our key delivery partners is open data manchester who you heard from in episode one of this series of the podcast
7: Hi, I'm Julian Tate. I am the chief exec and co-founder of Open Data Manchester. In the Rights to the Streets project, we've been going about trying to help people understand and explore the area. So it's about listening to people, seeing what their experiences, lived experiences of the area are, and mapping that, and also taking them out on walks where they can fill in booklets to say what their perceptions of the area is. And it's to kind of, so we can get a more holistic view of what the area is like because usually when people see areas from outside they don't really understand them and understand the the lovely complexity and fabulous nature of, of, of places where we live. From the Rights to the Streets project, it'd be really great to see people carry on some of the work that's been going on within the Rights to the Streets programme. There's been loads of resources that have been developed that people can use. And I, and I think it's, it's what's really interesting within the North Trafford community. There's, this, there's an energy to do stuff and to make things better. And I hope that we've played a little part in that. And I hope that people go out and be more confident about what they want within their areas. Absolutely.
1: I couldn't agree more with Julian. We all have a right to the streets and we all have a right to say what we want in and on our streets too. Finally, let's hear from Gorgeous Gorse Hill. You'll remember Ruth, their founder, talking to us in the very first episode of the Right to the Streets podcast. Liam Mullen is here representing the group today and I ask what Gorgeous Gorse Hill has been up to as part of the Right to the Streets.
8: Gorgeous Course Hill, we're lucky enough to receive some funding as part of the Rights to the Streets project and we, as a result of the funding we've done a few different projects. We've installed art as a big mural on the, on the side of a building locally. We're about to install some art in a local park along the railings and we're going to jazz up and install some art on some local telephone exchange boxes as well. I think they brighten the place up. I feel like they make it more welcoming. I feel like it makes the area more inviting for people. And I think it sends a message to anybody that does want to cause any mischief that this isn't the place for it, basically. It's a, it's a nice place and it's a lovely neighbourhood. Fabulous. And when we talk about creating legacy, those murals
1: that have been painted by gorgeous Gores Hill, the telephone exchange boxes, the art and the railings that doesn't get pulled down or painted over when the work is over. It continues to be seen and enjoyed, and as Leanne says, creates a place that is more inviting for everyone. Now, throughout the last eight episodes of this series of the podcast, you've heard me ask the same question to everyone. So, what would you like to see happen next? So it'd be rude not to hear from everyone I've spoken to. What would they like to see happen next?
4: We've spent a year together and we've had an amazing time learning from each other, learning from communities on the ground. And I feel like we've just started. I feel like there's a huge amount of energy, momentum, information, knowledge, and we're kind of now in the starting blocks ready to go. I feel like we've just set up. And so I hope that we will be able to allow the work that we've created the resources the games the blog posts the podcasts become the key resources for everyone everywhere to start to make changes in their own lives in their own
0: work Um, and so our task is to make what we've done as accessible as possible I think to just continue as it is and just for it to be louder I think the ethos that it has is, you know, women and young girls want to be more visible, want to be seen and, you know, be treated uh, fairly. And I think that voice just needs to become louder. And not just Trafford, you know, there's ten other boroughs where this is an issue. It's not just a, a Trafford issue, it's Bolton, Berry, Rochdale, all over. So, you know, to have this maybe moving around would be incredible.
7: I suppose the energy of the community and, and the wishes of the community are reality is... For people who make decisions to listen um, to not kind of do the easy thing which is just like look at the data that exists in kind of national data sets about what an area is like and listen to communities and see what that lived experience is like and through that we can create more sustainable and co designed solutions to a lot of the problems we have because generally what happens is things get developed, project ends and people stop using them.
8: I think now it's time for the big guns to get involved so the local government, decision makers, businesses need to get behind it and continue the great work that the project has done So there you have it, lots of rallying
1: cries for more action, to continue the momentum and hopefully see more Right to the Streets action pop up in communities like yours So that's it for this episode and for this series of the Dear Moving podcast I'm sad to say goodbye, but it's a huge thanks for listening and a goodbye for now. I'm sure we'll be popping up on a podcast very soon. Listen out to hear what we'll be talking about next. This podcast and the whole of the Right to the Streets is just the start of the conversation. So as ever, we'd love to hear from you. What would you like to see happen next? Are there any Safer Streets initiatives happening in your area? How can we connect and learn together? Anything in particular that's inspired you and that you're going to take into your community? Whatever it is, let us know and we'll share your thoughts on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few easy ways you can get in touch. Tell us on social media, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter, simply search Dear Moving or drop us an email. Just head over to our website at gearmoving.co.uk and hit the contact button. Finally, a massive thanks to everyone who has contributed to this episode and to the whole Right to the Street series of the Geo Moving podcast. That's all 150 of you who have now been on this podcast. The Right to the Street series of the Geo Moving podcast is just one element of the Right to the Streets initiative, led by Geo Moving, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester, and other Geo Moving partners. Thanks again to funding from the Home Office for Safer Streets. This series is a Mac Media production.